Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us or our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. Oh, you rejoicing over there? Juice, I see you. Well, you better watch yourself, all right? All right. But um, so we're going to do a shorter sermon. We're kicking off our Lent, um, our Lent series, which is basically Lent, a journey to the cross. This is our first day. Wednesday, we started the fast, um, and we're doing that 40 days into Easter. And um, I'm excited about it. I'm really, really excited about it. But before we start, let's just pray really quick or whatever before we jump into this. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. I thank you, Father, for um, gracing us to not play church. Um, We're not even going to assume that it's some type of virtue that we have within ourselves. Um, My nervousness to perform sometimes tells the whole story that... I don't want to perform badly, but this is not about performing. This is about delivering your word in truth and the way you um, have shown it to us and gracefully revealed it to us. So I pray, Father, Lord, that you would completely um, handcuff our hearts to you and that desire to have a true experience with you um, and not just go through mundane rhetoric and different things like that, but that we would actually, that you would implant a desire and hunger for the word of God that does an amazing thing inside of this room and that spills out of this room into the city, to people that are hurting, that spills out into our workplaces, um, that spills out with our families, with broken relationships there, um, that your depiction you give us in our work, in the word concerning love and this sacrificial example of the most utter extreme about a king coming from his throne to die for his enemies. Um, I pray that we would be trapped um, up in that beautiful thing you're doing and our hearts would be deeply connected to that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so listen, so we're doing Lent. And, uh, you know, I know Jeremy probably hit some of this stuff for you, but Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter. And it's basically a, a time that we deeply reflect um, and we just kind of consecrate ourselves before God. And we kind of reorient ourselves back into this relationship um, with, with God and who he is and his son Jesus and what it means to us. One of the things that I think I'm most excited about during this time because like, you know, like I knew before everybody else that we were going to be doing the fast. And so I kind of was getting my mind prepared because I'm like, my discipline game is not really the best. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, I like to do what I want to do and eat what I want to eat. So it's like I'll be on the fast game and it's like the jelly sandwich will be calling me at 3 in the morning. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, I know that seems silly, but a brother be weak. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, Lord, you know. I rebuke that sandwich. Next thing you know, I'm in there spreading that thing, getting it. And then in the morning, crying with jelly all up on my, on my t- tank top like, what have I done? You know what I'm saying? And so, but something feels different about this time, like to be honest with you. Like I've been, um, you know, we've done fast in the past or whatever and everything. Yeah, that just rhymes. Just flip that, you know. But anyway, we've done fast in the past and everything else, but it's always been this weird kind of like pressure, you know what I'm saying? 
And so, like, you know, you walk around the church and people be like, you know, you be over there trying to hit a granola bar or something. They be like, what you got over there? You know what I'm saying? Like the, you got the people that be hunting you down. To, and so it just never felt right. It never felt honest and pure. And it was one of the reasons why when we did this and when we sent out the message to everybody, we kind of said, hey, listen, what keeps you away from God? Whatever that thing is. It's on you. You decide what that is. What are you replacing time with? Like it could be your phone. It could be whatever the case may be. And maybe you don't feel like God is even calling you to a fast at the moment. And that's on you also. But we do want you to be praying with the church, right? We want to be unified in that. But I'm excited about the fast. But like I was saying, I'm excited because it's a time when, um, or at least the way I see it is like, I feel like God is on just like daddy mode in the most ultimate way. And it's like, come, come with anything. Come confess your sin. It's like I just, it just reor, it, 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 it refocuses the way I see him. You know what I'm saying? And I just feel like he's up there like, yo, I love that y'all want to draw near to me. Bring your mess. You know what I'm saying? What you been thinking about that's wrong? Bring it in. Like, that ain't going to give you a spanking. Bring it in. I want to deal with that. You know what I'm saying? We were talking about on Friday night. I was talking about how God is the way, the truth, right? And so he knows that. Like, like there's this humility that is usually a stumbling block that keeps us from getting to God because we won't humble ourselves to say, God, we're in need. Our whole life is about being efficient, about killing it, about doing it, about winning and winning. And so it's like... I need to, I, you know what, I'm going to keep on hustling and grinding. That's what we keep saying. We're going to keep on hustling, we're going to keep on grinding, and we're going to keep on moving. And then we get shipwrecked and we're like, oh my God, I'm a mess. Yeah, we are a mess. We are a mess. But like we miss so many times, God is like, hey, I'm over here. Y'all got the answer for that. Y'all died for that problem you got right there. You know what I'm saying? Like come lay it before me. And so that's why I'm excited about Lent because I just feel like, man, I feel like I know the throne room is always open, but it's just... And my mind is just blown wide open right now. You get where I'm coming from? All right, I just want to tell you that. I just want to let that out. Here's the thing. During this fast, um, God has been impressing some stuff on my heart and just some conversations that have been coming up. And uh, I just really need his grace to preach this to you this morning because I don't know how this is going to tie together. And, and, um, and, and, it, and it just may be weird, but just bear with me because it's, it's just some stuff that's been heavy on my heart. But the other day... Um, I had this conversation with a guy on, um, on Facebook. He's on one of, my, uh, one of my relatives' page. And so this guy starts talking to me, and he's just like, he's like, man, he's like, you know, I grew up in the church. My, my, my parents were pastors of their own church. And um, he said, you know, but when I got older, I started kind of just looking into the word and I just, I believe some of this stuff is like fairy tales. And I start studying all these other religions, and I just kind of like, I don't really mess with any of them. And so he's in this place. The one thing about it is usually when like these kind of conversations happen, I usually feel like people kind of in this arrogant place, like they're trying to push where they're at now. But it was weird because he was like, it's almost like he was shipwrecked and he knew it. You know, you get where I'm coming from? And I haven't went back to respond, but his last thing he said, he was like, he gave the whole scenario where he's at, and then he was like, yo, can y'all please respond to this? And then he was like, is anybody going to say something? And I just haven't had the moment, but I'm going to get back to it, right? But he was really, like, like, it really was in the humility. It was like he was crying out, like, make sense of this stuff I'm saying. Like, please help paint a picture um, with it. And, um, 
And so some of y'all, if you've been listening to the Ville Church, which I know if you go to the Ville, of course you've been tuning into the, excuse me, to the Ville radio show. I just, I know nobody would dare miss that show. But anyway, so if you've been listening to it, we've been talking about millennials and the mass exodus of millennials from the church. And so I think the statistics right now are, what do they, what do they feel? 59% of uh, millennials raised in the church are leaving out of the church right now. So we got a problem. Also, you look, inside of, you look at church statistics. I believe I told you this before, and I think it's 3,000 churches start a month, 7,000 churches close every month, all right? All that basically is is that it's, it's, it's older people in the church dying off. That's all that is or whatever, right, because there's nobody else to come carry the banner for it because there's no millennials. They bouncing, right? And so when I was listening to this guy, excuse me, when I was having this conversation back and forth with him, and this whole thing with millennials lately, it just keeps falling in front of me. And as I've been just going through my fast, I've been praying a whole lot. And it's just been like I've been feeling this weight of how God is just like he, he has a problem with it. He has a problem with it. Um, and so um, I want to throw a scripture in front of you really quick. This is Luke 18, 15. I read this the other day. It says, one day some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to his disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Now listen to this statement. He says, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. This scripture right here, it hit me so much after having a conversation with the gentleman. is because what I realized is that the devil was doing a straight flipperoni on him, right? He went off to school. He was getting grown. He's a man now. He left being in a childlike place with God. You get where I'm coming from? This, this thing we get into where the Bible says that uh, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. One of the things I said the other week, I said, um, when you as a believer are plotting your course and, you, and, and, and you're, you're, you're getting your your defenses up, and you're trying to watch for your enemies, you have to put your name on the list, right? The heart of mankind is deceitful and wicked. Sometimes we think, like the word is talking about some other people. He's talking about us, right? The Old Testament is all about God's people crying out to him, then coming back with a dagger and sticking them in his heart. It's not there for us to look at them like, man, I'm not like these people in the Old Testament. We just like the people in the Old Testament. So one of the responsibilities we're called in is to guard our heart from ourselves. And so just talking with this young man and several millennials, I just realized like this is the case right here. Like it's this it's this thing where we no longer accept the word in faith. And here's the thing, faith is the key to this kingdom that we're walking in. Anybody who's a believer knows exactly what I'm talking about. It doesn't make sense and from a logical standpoint, you're not you're not going to sit and flip and rationalize this cuz it's unconceivable. It's scandalous. The gospel is just simply scandalous. Nobody grasps how a holy God comes from the throne room of heaven, comes off his throne, and then comes and dies for his creation, who's turned his back and rebelled against him. It doesn't make sense to the logical mind. And then the whole idea of him calling us to love like that, it's not enough good in the world to do that. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to love people when they're spitting in your face. Y'all with me so far? So we have a faithless generation. And the thing that's crazy about it is that the same stumbling block 
that stumbles, that makes millennials stumble, is the same thing that makes the church stumble right now. It's the same exact thing. It's this thing where we are no longer in this place where we are coming to God like a child. So we come with deep theology. Great, it's necessary, but we end up lacking love in it because the love that Christ, that the word draws for us is so sacrificial, it sounds insane to do. To sit and be long-suffering with your enemy, to sit and be long-suffering with people that are enemies of God. The Bible says we're called to the ministry of uh, reconciliation. It means that we are literally called to go out and get enemies of God and bring them back into the kingdom, to bring them back into relationship with God, to reconcile them back to God. It's a crazy work. No human's going to do that on their own. It requires the power of God to actually do it. It requires childlike faith. Because if, if you grow up in this world and you sit in enough college rooms, they're going to try to work that whole faith thing out of you. It's just going to be logic, statistics, numbers. But how crazy is the church? Because we see these numbers with millennials. We've been seeing them for a long time. And I heard 50 million pastors quote them, and then we show up to church to do the same thing every single week. Who's really crazy in here? So one of the things I'm saying, the reason I'm making this point here about this stumbling block for the world and for the millennials and for the church being the same, we got to deal with this. We got to have a real serious conversation. And the church actually needs to lead it with confession. It needs to lead it with confession. And that's why Lent is such a good time for us right now to even be having this conversation. And so I guess because this is heavy in my heart, I just really want to point you to dealing with some of the real, real stuff here. All right? So I want to read a verse to you. We're in Joel 2.12, if you have your Bibles with you. Or you have your smartphone, however you get down. So, and in, uh, in Joel, preceding where I'm starting out, out on 12, um, the prophet is giving a description about the army of God. And it's a gangster description. And it's basically just talking about this army executing the wrath of God on people, right? On, on God's rebellious people, right? But then... Um, Joel 2, 12 starts with this. It says, which is, I didn't read the prior part or whatever, but y'all know how it goes. When God starts talking that gangster stuff, how you can wipe somebody out in the Bible, it's pretty, it's pretty horrible. All right, so you get where I'm coming from. But within the same breath, he goes right here. It says, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. He's talking about our father, right? He says, who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly. Um, I'm going to just stop right there on that. Verse 13 says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Right? The, um, man, we spend a lot of time, you know, me, Phil, um, Pastor Shirky, um, sitting before a lot of really, I don't know, esteemed people 
inside of the church. You know what I'm saying? Just like in churches or leaders or whatever the case may be. And one of the things that grieves me a lot of times when I leave some of the conversations, whether we're talking about the context of like the urban community and the condition it's in and everything else, or it could just be overall the church and everything else, like the conditions we have with millennials. It seems like the, the church is so reluctant to repent, right? We, y'all hear me say this all the time, but it's very much like, um, it's like in the Good Samaritan story. We're like sipping Starbucks across the street, and we're talking about the people laying on the ground across the street. Like we're coming up with amazing sermons about how they got there, what's wrong with them, about how rebellious they are, right? But that same stumbling block that takes them there, the hard-heartedness, the lack of repentance, has very much become the same thing that is keeping the church from actually crossing the street to go stand with them, right? and actually fulfill our calling, the ministry of reconciliation. So I I just want to put this on your lap real heavy doing this fast for you to be praying about this and and, and let God kind of show you what it looks like or whatever. However, he would do it for you personally because just for me, he's just been jabbing me with it. It seems like every conversation is going to that. Um, Even in the church, meeting new people this morning, this is where the conversation went, right? So when he says, he says, rend your hearts and not your garments. He's saying, listen, I know you feel guilty. He said, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Rending your garments is something they did in the Old Testament where they would rip their garments, sit in ash, do whatever they would do, and it would be a thing, and it would be a form of their remorse, right? And God in this right here, he's saying, man, I get it. That's cute, but I need you to take your heart and rend your heart. Because your heart is stony, right? Your heart is stony. Here's the thing. He's saying, you ain't just slip up and mess up. Like, this ain't just, God, forgive me, we done messed up. He's saying, like, show up like, yo, God, my heart is wretched and wicked and evil. I need a brand new heart. He's saying, rend your hearts. That's what he's telling them, all right? James 5 says this right here. And I'm hitting this right here. Like, this is why I said this sermon is going to be a little bit weird because as I've been thinking about this, I've been thinking about the consecration process and I've been thinking about millennials and all of this stuff or whatever. But I've just been thinking about how important we are to each other in the process. And I've been thinking about how important our um, elders and leaders are in this process. I've told you before, one of our priorities this year is to put elders in place in this church. I mean, me and Jeremy are here or whatever, but I'm not trying to lean to my own wisdom and all of that stuff or whatever. God put this in place for a reason. You get where I'm coming from? And so I want to push on, 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 the, on the idea of um, I want to push on your hearts about um, opening your heart to be led by the people God would put in your life. Because one of the things I find with a lot of millennials is that it's like they have a distrust to open up to other people. And I get it and I understand it. Like, I'm not one of those people that's like, let me shake my finger at millennials. My first place to go to is to shake it at the church. Because I, I get it. I think, I think we need to confess some sin. I think that's how we lead and get out of this mess that, we're be, that we've been in is to come with some repentance. We've missed this. We've been loveless in this situation. 
all right? We've been stuck inside of these four walls, and we, and we, need, to, and we need to confess it first, that we need to reset the conversation, right? But I want to encourage y'all in here or whatever with, with these words right here. So it says, um, James 5.16 says this. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Proverbs 19, 20 through uh, 21 says this. It says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. All right, I'm going to read that one more time. Listen to to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You know, um, one of the things I found out about God when I was like, when I first became a believer, I was just telling somebody a story the other day, like, and y'all have heard me say it before. I had no idea how gangster God was. Like, y'all hear me say that word gangster all the time. It's like I have no other category to, to, to like, to me, like, gangster just means relentless. That's why I use the word or whatever. It doesn't mean bad stuff like shooting up stuff and all that, whatever. But I know some people who do things like that. But anyway, um, but I remember when I became a believer, like, I was like, man, you know, I, um, I was stumbling. You know, I was stumbling through it. You know what I'm saying? So I go out. I'm killing a bottle of Henny the night before. I wake up in the next morning or whatever, and I'm just feeling like a straight scumbag of the earth, right? And it blew my mind how God was like, I I just felt like he was always standing there at my bed like, let's go. Like, let's go. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, go where? You understand what I'm saying? And then I, God, I can't go to church this morning. Man, I've been hanging out in the street. I'm a hypocrite. Man, I preached to my friends, and I was getting high with them. Felt like an absolute mess, but it's like God was like, repent, let's go, we got somewhere to go. And so it just baffled me because nobody told me that God was like that. You know what I'm saying? They're like, yeah, you need to get your life right and everything else. But I didn't know about this purpose he had. You get what I'm saying? And so I'm like, you know, have, you know, alcoholic, drug addict, selling drugs and everything else, but the spirit of God is pressing on me hard. It's realer than my friends standing in front of me. It's so real that I'm taking this pitiful, stumbling walk, but I'm actually leaving everything I know. I'm leaving where my money source is. I'm leaving, I'm leaving my whole social network. I'm leaving everything I know how to do well, which was sin. I was good at it. But God is starting. I'm, this all thing is happening where I'm like, I'm about to bounce on it all, right? I'm about to leave it all. And... I'm like, God, where's he trying to get me to go? We're standing in it right now. We're standing in it right now. I had no idea. I didn't get an epiphany I want to be a preacher one day. I, didn't, I never felt that tingle or whatever. God had a purpose and a place. People get the tingle, bro. I'm meeting guys all the time. Like, I'm not joking. They be like, I'm just, my heart, spirit is tingling for the Lord. I want to serve him and walk with him. And, and, every, and I'll be like, all right, man. I'm like, you know this is thug life in the church, bro. It's not as fun as you think. It's not going to be, like, make sure you understand that. But anyway, I'm just saying, like, God had a plan that was beyond anything I could understand or comprehend. 
I didn't know it had babies and wife and kids and all y'all amazing people that I get to be a part of your lives. We're in a war story. Like, you know, when you watch a movie and it's like it's gut-wrenching, but you love the fact that there's hurdles and trials and issues getting to victory, right? Yo, we're in that. We're in that. But I'm just telling you this whole thing because what I want to encourage you, what's been heavy on my heart is, is that, yo, he has a purpose. He has a purpose for you. Like, listen. The trials and the tribulations, yo, they work for you. They work for you. Don't spend your time sitting in them whining and crying. They work for you. They're there, there to build you up. There's not, a, there's not a single hill. I done been through a million issues. Y'all ain't seen me a couple years ago. A couple years ago, I was around here on a walker like this. I just stopped walking on a cane a couple years ago. I ain't see that coming. God was with me through the whole process. We still worshiping Jesus through it. I just want to encourage you. I'm not trying to talk about me. I'm talking about Jesus taking me through storms just to set an example to glorify him. Do you get where I'm coming from? Because I just think like when I'm thinking about millennials right now and just the word, just the distrust that goes towards the church and everybody else. I'm the first person to raise my hand and say the church needs to repent. But let it be known. God ain't never slipped up. He ain't never slipped up. Period. Period. His people do. That's why I always tell you, listen, if you're a mess, you can still tell a story about a perfect God because he don't mess up. You can still testify about God is faithful on your messed up days. He's still there with his arms open like, repent, let's keep it moving. I got a plan. I just want you to, I just want you to carry that because here's the thing. All the suckers out there and everybody that's going to try to, every time I turn on Facebook, all I see is jabs towards the church and towards the people of God. And what hurts so bad is when I'm looking at it, I want to come back and be like, no, nah, it's not like, but I know it actually is like that. I know that is what people see all the time. And so we got to turn up. We got to change the narrative. God is calling us to change the narrative. But the way you change it is this sacrificial laying your life down on the line type of deal, like following what God, what Jesus actually did on the cross. That's when the church is going to be, that's when we scream the loudest. Not when we in Facebook having little theological arguments and all of that stuff, but when we are talking about the selfless, sacrificial work done on the cross. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? I'm just saying, I'm just trying to get you in this place where the room gets really small and there's nothing but Jesus left inside of it. I'm telling you, it's good for you to bank on it. It's good for you to bank everything you got on the cross because it it, it's, it's unfailable. It's perfect. It's pure. It's true. The word is true. Y'all get where I'm coming from? Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Make sure you stay like a child because your mind will deceive you, right? Go with a blind faith. When God says walk into the storm and you're like, I'm not walking over there. It's going to cost me too much. Walk into that storm because a child will walk with you anywhere you tell them to go. You get where I'm coming from? They don't question it. They trust that their parents are good to them, and they'll go. And that's what God is call, calling us to do. As we get older, we get a little bit wise in our own eyes and all that stuff. We start, first thing we do is start trying to rewrite who God is. We tear down his credibility for who he is. That's where his wrath is kindled inside of this word. That's what the whole preceding um, part of Joel is about, is about God's wrath, because he's like, first thing we do is start tearing them down. We don't say what's wrong with us. We have full trust in our own wicked hearts. But we like, hmm, what's wrong with him? Let's start figuring out how we need to change him around. Secular humanism. 
It's creeping in deep. Next part of that um, verse, right, and Joel says this. It says, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Man, if you find a kid that can run inside their parents' room and get FaceTime with them, that can come and confess their sin and get a hug and get pointed to the cross, be received, be encouraged, then you're going to find a really, really amazing, beautiful family. You feel me? But if you want to see something that's broken in the family context, it's going to look like somebody's shaking their finger at their child every time they walk in the room. You understand what I mean? And so return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. While we're in the middle of Lent right now, if you're stepping all the way into this fast, take advantage of this time to reorient the way that you see God. Is he the mean is he a mean father to you that treats you like an orphan, or is he actually daddy to you, right? Is he daddy? Like, where are you at with that? That's not an issue with him. He's faithful. It may be an issue with where we see him. Perhaps you're walking around and you have sin, or you, have, you just feel condemned all the time. The Bible says there's no condemnation in him. So don't start trying to figure out what's wrong with him. Come before him and say, God, I'm not seeing this right. The devil's doing a number on me. He's trying to throw, you know what I'm saying? He's trying to do a makeover on you. And you don't look like the merciful, loving father that's in the word. That's not a Jesus issue. That's the that's devil playing game issue. So I'm just saying this time right now is where we can go, God, I don't see you right. I'm not seeing it the proper way. You're not looking like the word to me. It's okay. He's not going to trip over it. He's the way, the truth, and the light, right? And so here's the thing. God is eager to lavish us with his love. Right. He's eager to lavish us with it. He loves that when we fall short, the humility of us walking before him and going, God, I don't have it together. You don't have to try to win because he's already won everything for you. You get what I'm saying? We're in a battle, but he's already we're already victorious in it. I want to read something to you really quick because I think this is just important. Um, it's second, second Samuel 12. It says, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. Um, and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ooh lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew it up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if, there were, and if, that, if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have, take, and have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, 
I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Listen to David's response to what just happened, right? David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Um, I'll finish. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. I want to, the reason I want to hit this scripture or whatever is because, number one, it showcases the mercy of God in a crazy way. Because David, we know him to have a, a heart after uh, God. But David was, now that's a real gangster. That's like, well, that's the real bad version of gangster right there. Like when you kill somebody to get their wife, you're a certified uh, gangster on a whole nother level. But anyway, the thing is this right here. It's crazy to think that David is actually the king of Israel, but he actually had somebody close enough to him that could actually come and rebuke him. Um, like Nathan rolled up on him, and he, he laid it to him. He laid it to him. Um, and so I want to ask you all whatever, like, do you have anybody in your life that can actually rebuke you? Like, I, like we, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting these things because I'm concerned for the church. And like one, and, and I tell you all the time, man. If God's telling this church anything, He's just saying, "Be real." That's what He's telling us. He's saying, "Be real." So I just want to be real with you. you. You're in a bad place if you don't have anybody that can rebuke you. You need to have somebody that, like, people sometimes think like the pastor thing is like, yeah, you're the pastor. You run around and do what you want to do. No, we don't. That's not good for the church. That's not good for us. Our heart can't be trusted like that. So I have people that I run and check stuff with. I have a board I go run stuff with. You understand what I'm saying? I wanted to take a trip last week. I hit Shirky up or whatever and was like, yo, what do you think of this? He was like, man, if God's leading you, then, you know, we could talk about it. But I honestly think you shouldn't do this, this, and this, and that. You get where I'm coming from? We don't lean to our own understanding how we do this. So that's just something I want to encourage y'all with, too, whatever, like, Look around. Who, who has credibility for you? Who has the residue of just God on them? Who doesn't need anything from you? Who loves God in this ferocious, crazy way where you like, you know, all they want to see is the glory of God displayed in your life? Tap them on the shoulder and be like, yo, can I come to you and confess crazy stuff to you sometimes? Can I be known by you for how messed up I really am? Because if you're going to keep it real... A holy king had to die for us, so we're all exposed for how sinful we are, all right? We could dress it up as best we can or whatever, but the, it is what it is. We're a mess, and if we talk long enough, it'll come out. And it's great to be able to have somebody come confess your sin to and then point you to the cross of Jesus Christ. You get where I'm coming from? Like, we need, the church needs that. Like, if we're going to get back on it, like, this is one of the things that needs to happen. We need to be able to actually confess our sin to each other. Um, and we need to have somebody that can actually rebuke us. Somebody that we come to and say, man, evaluate me on this right here. And then actually trust them and let them say, hey, no, don't do that. Maybe you shouldn't do that right now. Maybe you shouldn't get married right now. Just hold off a little bit. Let me walk through this with y'all. And we actually trust them, all right, because we know them, they're for us. Um, I'm going to read this really quick, too. James 5 says, be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now listen to this. It says, Behold. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This last part right here, where they hit, behold, we, have, we, have, we, can, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. What is going on right here is they're painting a picture about this, the long story, like what patience looks like in this walk. Um, I think that one of the things that is definitely a um, Achilles heel to, to many of the church right now is a lack of patience. Like patience is against the weapon that God gives us to be able to sit, to, to be able to walk with them through hard times, good times and see the long story played out. That's why when you go talk to older people, they have such rich wisdom because they they went through it. Y'all get where I'm coming from? And so. This is something I want to encourage the church with, like during this time, like evaluate this stuff, weigh this stuff, because God has a crazy calling for this church, for the church overall, for the church overall. But I pastor the Ville Church and I already know what it is. I, I, I get the phone calls and stuff just keeps landing on our lap. And it's things that are like amazing opportunities, not to keep building a big, bigger church and look cute. I'm talking about to actually get the gospel in front of hurting people desperate for the good news of the gospel. And so I don't want to waste this stage on just hitting you with a cute message. I want us to get on gangster mode. Matter of fact, in the beginning of Joel 2, in the beginning of Joel 2, the part that I, when I, that I didn't read, when it's talking about um, when it's talking about God's ferocious army, it makes this statement. It says, it says, they, it says something about how they walk straight and they don't jostle each other. When they're walking. So I went back and I started looking at it and what it meant by that. It was saying that everybody knows their position. Like they're ferocious because they're like their mind is, in, is unified on the calling that God has given them. Our calling is this ministry of reconciliation. Our calling is to love each other in a way. And that's not a cute thing, right? That's that thing where you forgive people who hurt your feelings, Right? It's that thing where somebody comes and tells you their sin and then you talk them through it and they say, glory to God, praise you, thank you so much. And then they call you back next week with the same thing. And then two years later, you're having the same conversation and you're still there with them to the glory of God. Patience wore down to the nub, but you're being empowered by God to still love them in this long story. You get where I'm coming from? All right. Last thing I'm going to read, and then we're going to close with this. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I don't know. I'm excited. I don't know what to tell you or whatever, but I'm hype over this. He is actually not counting people's trespasses against them. 
I don't know what you consider amazing work, but in a fallen world, we, 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 we with a king who's out here pardoning people's trespasses. That's the message. That's the news we bring. I know our flesh is dead, so I don't even know how to rejoice and even savor the taste of that statement. And it's all right, because in God's grace, you can even grieve over the fact that you don't even appreciate it for what it is. You get what I'm saying? I can't even be thankful enough for what it's really saying when it says that. But God, if he didn't, if, if, if he didn't excuse our trespasses through the blood of Jesus, who of us would be standing here right now? Would your life even be, if you're sitting here right now, whatever, and you're just blessed in the Lord... That wouldn't be the story. I don't know if you remember what it was like to be lost, but I ain't forgot. And I had money and all type of things and everything I wanted, and it still felt like I was in a straight hell hole, right? Filthy rich because of Jesus. I don't know what else to say. That's it. And so, and now I get to give away, we all get to give away this thing he's given to us. He's called us in it. We're in the Lord's army, all right? So let's not play with it. Let's not jostle each other with it. Let's be unified on it and, uh, and, and have an understanding about it being sacrificial, right? That about it being about love. I, 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 I hit y'all the other week when we did a service about love thy neighbor. Bible says, yo, you ain't even one of his if you don't even get this love concept. It says forget all the gifts and everything else. Like we so focused on all these other things and making sure everything runs fine or whatever that we didn't forgot to love each other. And God is like, yo, that's how they're going to know whether you want with me or not. It's the priority. It's the thing that's going to rock the world. It's the thing that's going to rock the world because as smart, it's just like my man in the beginning when I started talking. As, as much as he sat in school and he's come with all these different things and everything else, nobody can figure out how to stop people from blowing each other's heads off and taking advantage of, advantage of each other. They can't figure out how to stop the marketplace from devouring the poor or majority culture, eating the minority culture or the minority culture, murdering the minority. They can't stop it because the answer is the love of God. That's it. So the earth, when the Bible says that the earth is subject to futility, it is. God set it up to where it'll never, like, we, I don't care the most brilliant minds ever. They can't figure this thing out. God's already figured out. It's his son, Jesus. That's it. That's it. It's, it's going to always fall. It's going to always trip. The best ideas are still going to have this thing where there's somebody hurting on the other side of it. You're still going to have your cell phone, and the technology is going to be amazing, and we're going to be standing in line outside of stores to get the new phone, but on the other side of it, it's going to be some babies with their arms cut off over in Africa so they can get the minerals and they pillage them and mass rape and everything else in the most horrific stuff you could ever imagine happening right now just so we can be on our phones. It's not a clean getaway. Jesus is the only clean getaway. He's the only clean getaway, period. And we got him. So we, we call to give him, Right? It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray, church.